The Conversation Weekly is taking a short break this week. So we're bringing you an extended version of a fascinating interview we did earlier this year. It's about the way different cultures perceive music. There's an open question among music researchers about whether cultures perceive the emotional meaning of harmonies differently. Basically, can chords that sound happy to Western listeners sound sad to people from other cultural backgrounds? Or is that feeling of sadness from what we listen to somehow innate to all humans? George Athanasopoulos from Durham University in the UK recently published some new research on this very question, and I spoke to him not so long ago. What really struck me when talking to George was how tricky it actually is to answer this question and to study the emotional response to music. Trying to pinpoint how music makes somebody feel sits at such an interesting intersection of culture and personal beliefs, and it's a really unique thing to study. So it was an absolute pleasure speaking with him. All right, George. So uh, first of all, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm excited to hear about your work. Uh, can you just introduce yourself? Tell me who you are, what you do, where you study, etc. Of course, my name is George Athanasopoulos. I am an ethnomusicologist and I work together with music psychologists trying to resolve the mysteries of music and emotion in a cross-cultural perspective. So what we do in transcultural musicology, we study all aspects of music in its social environment. Whether this music is in an urban setting, in downtown New York, or in Dresden, where I am currently located, or if it is in a remote tribe in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, as was one of my studies, then that's also the same. I mean, you hear the line, music is universal. Is that kind of what you're exploring here in your work? So the focus of the research that I did whilst I was working at the Music and Science Lab of Durham University together with my colleagues was how we perceive elements of music and in specific musical harmony in a cross-cultural setting. So what we wanted to see was first whether all people, regardless of their cultural background, have the potential to distinguish emotions which are found in music in the sense of perception, not emotional feeling, because these are two very different things. Can you explain the difference in what you mean between feeling an emotion from music versus perceiving an emotion from music? For example, if someone listens to a very happy tune, as in, for example, Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles, they may be able to discern that this is a happy tune, or at least the, the band is trying to convey happiness through the song. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that I am feeling happy right now when I listen to the song. So tell us what assumptions you start with when doing this kind of research. So by starting off by some very, very simple elements like the perception of time or the perception of color, we know that culture affects the way that we perceive time and color differently based on our cultural background. Therefore, for us, it would be expected that we would be able to find at least some differences in the way that we perceive music. For example... When we listen to tempo, we know that a faster tempo signifies more energy. When we hear something which is louder, we perceive it as being 
higher in terms uh, of its dominance. In that sense, no army would ever go to war singing softly. Sure, sure. And at the same time, no mother would scream to her baby in order to soothe it to sleep. So these are commonalities. These are commonalities across the board. Now, that being said, there are also differences. And this is where culture comes into it. Mostly what we see are differences which are even determined by the way that we play music, we think about music, we create music, and then we consume music. So how is happiness conveyed in Western music through harmony? Okay, so the concept of harmony, at least in the West, it's how we create music that sounds together. So imagine us voices being built upon each other. This element, when music sounds together or voicing sounds together, is called a chord when it is built on layer upon layer of people trying to sing together and then instruments playing together. And then, of course, based on this, we have created and based our whole concept of music in Western music. The way is when we think about music in terms of chords as building blocks, that is a very Western thing to think and perceive about music. Other cultures do not necessarily think like this. When they are creating their music, when they are trying to build their fundamental building blocks, for example, a melodic line in some cultures may be more important than the chord progressions that we've got in the West. Can you give an example of a song that includes what we consider a sad-sounding chord or harmony in the West? So a very sad uh, song from the Beatles, for example, would be And I Love Her. Yeah, that's a very sad song in a minor chord. So what you're saying is someone might listen to the Beatles and I Love Her and interpret that totally different from an emotional perspective, depending on the culture they're influenced by? Yep, that was the first part of our research. So basically, sit down and see how the emotional perception of music is influenced, if it is influenced at all, by our listeners' cultures. The second objective that we wanted to see was was whether the Western concepts of music, which are specifically related to, let's say, a major chord having a happy connotation and a minor chord having a sad connotation, hold any sort of truth outside a Western cultural environment. Then the next block that we need to see and assess is how much has the culture that we intend to work with has been influenced from Western culture. Ever since the internet has arrived, everyone, the moment that they connect to the internet, they will try to go to music sharing platforms to listen to and download the latest hits by Taylor Swift and Ariana Grande. So then our job is very, very difficult. In our case, the cultures that we chose to work with were in remote northwest Pakistan, close to the borders with Afghanistan. The reason why we chose to work there was, first of all, because there is an unstable electricity grid, which means to an effect that there is no stable internet connection, unless one is prepared to travel two hours away to the closest town. So tell me how you actually went to this place and tested these theories to see if music is cross-cultural. Before we even started playing music to our participants, first we had voice recordings. 
voice recordings from Urdu, which is a lingua franca in Pakistan. And then we would ask our participants, can you recognize the emotion expressed in this voice recording? If they were able to do it with their own language, then we moved on to German. In sieben Stunden wird es soweit sein. In sieben Stunden wird es soweit sein. And the reason why we picked German, because it was almost impossible that anyone there would speak German. If they were able to do it in German, as in recognize the expression, the emotional expression of the speaker, then we would say, okay, this is going pretty well. Let's now try it with their own music and ask them what's the emotional connotation behind this piece of music. If they were able to do this, then we move them on to Western music. And we would ask them, can you discern the emotional connotations of this piece of Western music? Now, we didn't use any type of music. We used music from a database, which we knew already the emotional connotations that it would elicit from listeners in the West. So we were able to compare and contrast between our two groups. So once our participants were able to discern emotions in their own language, in a foreign language, in their own music, and then in Western music, only and only then we would start playing to them artificial musical stimuli that we had developed in the lab, which would assess specifically the concept of musical harmony. So you sounds like you successfully did jump through these hoops, George. So tell me, <laughs> what did you guys find? Is is harmony a cross-cultural universal thing or is it different? So first of all, we found that our participants, regardless if they were Westerners or if they came from tribes in Northwest Pakistan, they were very, very successful in being able to recognize emotion in speech. Second thing, they are very, very good in recognizing emotions in music even outside their own cultural sphere. Why is that? Because some fundamental elements of music, as in tempo and loudness and even pitch height, works in a similar manner across cultures. So the faster a piece is, the more energy it conveys, at least to the perception of the listener. The more loud a piece of music is, the more dominant it is perceived to be. And now here comes the interesting cultural bit, because when we started collecting data, we saw for specific pieces of music, the emotional connotations started to differ. And why is this? Because the tribes in Northwest Pakistan do not have the same ideas about tags in music as we do in the West. What do you mean by tags? By tags, I mean the way that we separate music into different genre and the connotations that we have for each genre. And now this created some very, very interesting results for us. For example, our participants thought that heavy metal music, because it is very, very fast and very, very loud, conveys happiness. <laughs> Why is that? Because their own music, when it is trying to express joy and happiness, is very fast and very loud, so that everyone can dance to. So when they would listen to speed metal from 1980s, from uh, Grip INC to uh, Slayer to Sepultura to Mayhem, they would think, oh my god, this is happy music. 
at the same time, they would listen to Rossini operas, which at least some of Rossini's operas in the Western cultural sphere are perceived to be very, very happy, especially tunes from the Barber of Seville. However, our participants, when they would listen to it, they would rate it as being less happy than the pieces from speed metal that they would listen to beforehand, and vice versa. Mm. <laughs> At the same time, there were commonalities across groups. For example, when our participants would listen to very sad, very emotional film music, they would be able to discern that this music conveys sadness. Why? Because the tempo was extremely slow, it was not so loud, and the way that they saw it, it also matched their idea, their perception of something sad. At the same time, so did smooth jazz, the way that uh, it's performed by Chet Baker, for example. Again, we uh, we played them kind of blue, and then they, uh, they, they would be able to say, okay, so this piece of music conveys sadness. So it is at that point that we saw the cultural element coming about because they would not share our perceptions of the connection between genres of music and their connotations in the West. They would listen to these new Western musics that they were being exposed to and they would create their own connotations to them. Okay, so that has to do with the actual songs themselves. and But let's get into the harmonies, because this was kind of the end goal of your research. So what did you find with harmonies? The idea that we have in the West that major chords convey happiness is not necessarily true outside the Western cultural sphere. And why is that? Because after hours and hours of experimenting with the two tribes in Northwest Pakistan, we found that actually for them... It is the minor chord which conveys happiness. And how did we come to see this? Because their own music is overwhelmingly in the minor scale, especially one of the two tribes. So uh, one tribe was the Ko, and the other tribe was the Kalash. So for the Ko tribe, we've done an analysis of their own music through cassette recordings that, that we bought at the local market, and we saw that about 85% of the music is in the minor mode, a small percent, 10% is in the major mode, and then 5% is in an in-between mode, between major and minor. Okay, so we saw that by exposure alone, their perception of what conveys happiness and what doesn't is reversed in relation to the West. Another thing that uh, we found is that the way that dissonance and consonance is perceived is somewhat similar to the West. Can you just explain for people um, who don't know what dissonance and consonance are? Yes, absolutely. So uh, consonance is something which, when we listen to it, to our perception and perspective, sounds good. Dissonance is something when we listen to it, let's say a blast, a chromatic blast of a fist slamming down on the piano, that's rather dissonant. Okay. What we uh, came to see was that... Specific elements of dissonance are universal. And why is that? We think that it has something to do with the inner ear, the way that our inner ear functions and it perceives sounds. So uh, if people are interested in listening to music from 
cultures that are very different from their own. Are there any lessons or tips or tricks or things to think about? Like if I was to go, say, listen to a collage music recording, um, how can I better appreciate that? If you want to discover the music of another uh, place, my first recommendation would be to listen to it first without reading the booklet. So don't listen to the information about how this music is used and why and in which context it's being used. First listen to it, like the first hearing. Just let it be yourself and the music alone. Once you've done that, then read the booklets and then listen to it again. And then try to see how has your perception of the music changed based on all the information that you've read about it. I always do this because it's always fun for me to see whether my uh, ideas about how this music is being used and it's being created in the first place matches reality. Sometimes I get it right. More often, I don't. Do you have a playlist you can recommend to our listeners? <laughs> My advice is for anyone uh, trying to find, to listen to musics from all around the world, to go to theglobaljukebox.org. It is a website created by a researcher by the name of Pat Savage. He's located at the University in Japan. And at this website, theglobaljukebox.org, you may find musics from all around the world placed on a map. Very cool. Uh, well, George, um, last question. What's next? At the moment, I am based at the uh, Hornbostel Lab in uh, Berlin, at the uh, Humboldt University in Berlin. My next project explores how music can affect and in turn is affected by sociocultural parameters. So we're trying to see what else can music do for us apart from conveying emotions. I very much look forward to it, George. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about my research. George wrote a story about his work for a series of long-form articles the conversation runs called Insights. We'll put a link to that article in the show notes. If you're interested in listening to more stories from our Insights series, check out another podcast we run called In-Depth Out Loud, where we narrate some of those very articles. Recent episodes include a story on how the future of shopping was shaped by its past, and one on the feuding scientists behind the discovery of insulin. Search for In-Depth Out Loud on your podcast app. Conversation Weekly will be back with a new episode on the 28th of April. In the meantime, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at TC underscore audio, on Instagram, theconversation.com, or just email us, podcast at theconversation.com. The Conversation Weekly is co-produced by the illustrious Men Marawani and my spectacular co-host, Gemma Ware, with sound design by the fantastic Eloise Stevens. Our theme music is by Nita Sarl. I'm Dan Reno. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.